When I was a child, the girls in our neighborhood had a club. I think it was because we were all obsessed with the book series, The Babysitter's Club, who they made these adventures out of their babysitting and formed a club because of it, but we wanted to be like them. And so we started a club in our neighborhood for our adventures. We even had roles and offices. We had a president and a vice president, a treasurer, and a secretary in our club. We did everything in the neighborhood through this club. We had bike riding adventures and sleepovers. One of the dads actually turned their shed into a bunkhouse so that our sleepovers could actually be in a clubhouse. We played pranks on our sisters and the boys in the neighborhood. We went through jaunts in the woods. We lived for this club. It was a true place of belonging for the girls in the Belgrove neighborhood of Hopkins, Minnesota. Having a sense of and living in the reality of belonging is powerful. Belonging to a group, a family, a club, a team, it gives us meaning and purpose. It helps us to ground our identities and form how we live in the world. And a lack of belonging also has an impact on our identities. An article by Axios recently reported on a Harvard study that found that one in three Americans are lonely. And that number rises to 61% when you're looking at young people and 51% among mothers with young kids. The article said that the pandemic spotlighted and worsened loneliness in America. It hit older adults who had to isolate themselves for health reasons, kids who stayed home from school, and young professionals who moved back in with their parents. We all long to belong. And this isn't a new desire for humans. We were created to be in relationship with one another, to be connected to one another. It's in our nature because it reflects the Trinitarian God who created us. In the first book of the Bible, Genesis, God promised Abraham, who is often referred to as the father of our faith, that he would provide for this longing. It was always God's plan to create a large multi-ethnic family. And he was going to use Abraham and his family line to bring this about. He would create a family where all of us belong. And through Jesus, God fulfilled that promise. And as we continue to look through the book of Galatians this morning, that is what Paul is going to help us try and understand, that through the gospel, we are invited to belong to the family of God. And as a member of God's family, belonging is assured through Jesus. We're gonna dive into the end of chapter three. So go ahead and grab a pew Bible or your Bible. It will also be on the screen. But I think that it's important to mention before we dive into it, Paul's tone throughout the entirety of chapter three is incredibly passionate and emphatic. He is very serious about what he is talking to the Galatians about. He was trying to help them gain understanding of what it meant to be God's people now that the Messiah had come, as we have seen in chapters one and two as well. The Jewish believers in Galatia were holding 
tightly to the law that they had been given because it's how they believed they received not only personal security in knowing that they were God's chosen people, but also worldly security, being able to claim the Jewish privileges that existed in their day. They were clinging to these laws because that's how they thought they belonged. It's how they got belonging. And Paul is trying to reorient their whole way of thinking and living because now that the Messiah, Jesus had come, their reality wasn't this Jewish-centered reality anymore. Their reality was now a Christ-centered reality. And they were really struggling with that. They were okay with letting the Gentile believers in as long as they did what they wanted them to do, as long as they adhered to the very specific requirements that they thought that the law gave them. And Paul just wasn't having it. So at the end of chapter three, as he's in the midst of this very passionate speech through this letter, he says this, starting in verse 26. He says, so in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have been clothed with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. These statements are like the grand finale of a fireworks display. Christ didn't just come to fulfill the law. Christ came to break us free from the law and unite us with each other. Paul is saying to the Galatians, they don't have to be like us because there is no us and them anymore. Galatians 3 is radical equality for those in Christ. The Messiah's people are identified differently. Verse 27 is a daring and comprehensive metaphor for a whole new life. It means to think of Christ constantly, to have his spirit and his character infused and permeated into everything that we think, say, or do. It isn't about circumstances and control. It isn't about rules and regulations anymore. It's about Christ in us, uniting us, which transforms how we live in the world. The way Paul builds these verses helps us to understand this holistic vision for God that God has for us, his communal family. In verse 26, it reveals the intimacy that exists between Christians and God the Father. And then verse 27 outlines the wonderful closeness between Christians and Christ, God the Son. And out of that, and because of that, there's verse 28, unity and belonging to each other. There are no divisions or social distinctions in the family of God. Paul takes down three specific barriers that divide humans. First, the cultural barrier. 
Jews and Greeks. Next, the class barrier, slave and free, and the gender barrier, male and female. It's so easy to categorize people, isn't it? There are so many ways that humans use categories to determine if people are in or out. We see these categories in our world today. Some of them have done and continue to do immense harm. And Paul is teaching us here about the transformation of those social distinctions in Christ. He is saying that in God's family, we are all one. The distinctions don't determine belonging in the family of God. In the family of God through Jesus, there are no barriers for people to belong. When we pray and ask God in the Lord's prayer for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth, just as it is in heaven, this is what we're asking for in chapter three. This kind of God-centered reality. This is what we want. This God's reality of belonging, God's reality of relationship and connection. And that is challenging to a radically categorized world. But in the family of God, that is the reality. The social divisions that we have set up, that we live in, that are in our midst, are transformed. So that to belong in the family of God, there is neither Republican nor Democrat, white or black, immigrant, migrant, refugee, or natural born citizen, rich or poor, young or old, hornet or skipper. <laughs> it does not exist anymore in the family of God. The gospel means that I am a Christian. I am a Christ follower before I am anything else. And that forms our individual and collective identity and forms how we live in the world. As members of God's family, belonging is assured through Jesus. Paul then goes on after this radical statement of belonging to illustrate it with a story. In chapter four, he starts in verses one through three by telling a story of a young boy who is heir to a great estate, but he can't inherit the estate until he comes of age. The young boy has guardians and trustees to help him navigate his life until he reaches the age where he can receive his inheritance. And this is all in reference again to the law that Paul has talked so much about to these churches. And he doesn't just use one analogy in these short three verses. He uses a second one to really help them understand what is he is trying to say to them. He uses the analogy of a slave becoming free. The ancient people were in bondage to the law. They were enslaved by the law. But the Torah where they found all of the laws was always intended to be temporary because the time would come for them to be set free from the law. And so we pick it back up in verse four of chapter four. 
But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you his heir. Here's the point of this message, that through Jesus, we are adopted into full sonship with God. The phrase adoption to sonship is one word in the Greek, and it was used as a legal term to refer to the legal standing of an adopted male heir in Roman culture. When someone was fully adopted, it meant that their identity was fully changed and they received all of the inheritance and blessing from the Father. So what this passage tells us is that when people trust in Jesus, what's true of him becomes true of them. We are all sons and daughters of God. This picture of belonging that Paul is trying to convey to the churches in Galatia is truly transformative. It's radical. And it was offered to them as their new reality. The law no longer binds them. They are granted adoption into God through the Messiah, regardless of culture, class, or gender. And on top of that, then, they are given all of the privileges of being God's child. The inheritance that we receive from God isn't based on anything that we do, anything that we've done. It's not earned. It's not based on who's in or who's out. It's based on a relationship. I had a great aunt who uh, passed away when I was just out of college. She had no children of her own and she loved Jesus and she loved that I was in full-time ministry. And my mom was the executor of her estate. And so I decided to go with my mom to meet the attorney um, because it was gonna be a fun little road trip up to the sprawling town of Wakefield, Nebraska. And I got to spend some extra time with my mom. And halfway through the meeting, the lawyer looked at me and said, are you the great niece who's in ministry? I said, yes. And she goes, your aunt left you something. And I said, oh, like $5? And she told me the amount that my aunt left to be used in ministry, and I about fell over. My five-foot-tall, small-town Nebraska aunt, who never went anywhere a day in her life, left me a huge sum of money as an inheritance. I did nothing to receive that. I didn't even know she had money. She left it because she wanted to bless me. When we are in Christ, we are fully adopted, and then we receive all of the blessings of inheritance that Christ gives us. Love, compassion, understanding, peace, joy, That is what we are invited into when we have a relationship with Christ. 
And it isn't just individual. It is a collective invitation for all of us who are in the family of God. Understanding belonging in the family of God took me a little while to understand. For many years, I thought that my faith was just about me and God. Shocking, I know. It was a personal thing. I was, had a very individualistic view of faith. I accepted Christ when I was in eighth grade here in this church. I still went to church. I was in small group, but I didn't understand the power that happens when you are immersed and embraced in the family of God. But I got to college and I started getting a glimpse of that. When I joined my sorority, I met this great group of women. They showed me what it was like to belong to the family of God. They loved me without hesitation or reservation. They cared for me in tangible ways, ways that I had never experienced before. Up until that point, I thought friendship was fairly conditional. I was expected to act a certain way or do a certain thing or be a certain person. And I met all of those standards. I fit into all of those categories of the groups that I tried to belong to. But it always came up short. It always was a little empty. But with these friends, it was different. There were no pretenses. There was no expectations. I could fully and truly learn to be myself and live, un, or live authentically and unconditionally with them in community. And all these years later, I experienced the same thing with them and from them. We were never meant to do life on our own. We were always meant to be a part of something bigger. We were created to reflect a Trinitarian God so the ultimate reality and truth is that through Jesus, we are adopted sons and daughters of God. We are his. He is ours. We have the full rights and privileges in his family as if we were his own son. And we are part of something bigger. We belong to him and to each other. So all of the barriers are broken. All of the divisions cease. As a recipient of grace, we know that our blessings come unearned. So any pride in our race or status or gender is removed. And that is the kind of belonging that brings true freedom. Something is not adding up in the way that we're doing community, in the way that we're finding belonging, if one in three Americans are lonely. And we can't necessarily fix that for the entire United States. But there are steps that we can take as God's family to begin extending the truth of belonging to the people around us. How does this truth of belonging sit with you? Are there ways that you are holding too tightly to the things that have created and made up your identity or your sense of belonging until now that you need to maybe release and let go of? Are there things that you are doing or participating in that perpetuate barriers for others to belong? 
especially in the church, that you need to surrender to God? Are you living like you truly belong to God's family? This is our reality in Jesus. A Christ-centered reality is a collective one. It is for all of us and it's not impossible. It's God's design for his family. And it can truly transform our lives. As we close this morning, we're going to have an intentional time of prayer. If you've never made the decision to claim what Christ did for you, and you feel something nudging you and moving in you, that's the Holy Spirit. And during this prayer time, if you would like, I'm going to pray a simple prayer and you can repeat after me in the quietness of your heart as you pray to receive and to claim the promises that Jesus has made for you. Maybe during this prayer time, what you need is to confess to confess the ways that you have created barriers or perpetuated barriers or participated in barriers to people finding belonging. Or maybe you need to recommit to living differently, to living like this truth of the gospel that we are members of God's family through Christ is true for you because it does transform the way we live. It does change us. But I'll pray. And as we continue in worship after I pray, if you made a decision to claim Christ for the first time, if you want someone to come alongside you in whatever it is that you're holding, we have four prayer stations throughout the sanctuary. They are back in these corners and back in the corners in the balcony. And we invite you during these next two songs to go to tell someone if you've claimed Christ, to receive prayer, to walk with someone. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you with our full selves. Lord, for my friends who are responding to you for the first time, I pray this prayer. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. I believe that you died and rose again for me. Holy Spirit, fill us to live as your church, to live as your people, transformed by the power of belonging to you and each other. In your name we pray, amen.